and welcome to the Frozen Light Podcast. A podcast aimed at staying in touch with the PMLD community in the age of coronavirus. Garland and I'm one of the co-artistic directors of Frozen Light. And I'm Amber Onak Gregory, the other co-artistic director of Frozen Light. Frozen Light is a theatre company that tours multi-sensory theatre around theatres and art centres across the UK. We're currently not on tour, but we are talking about going back into rehearsals in September, which is new, nerve-wracking and exciting. And obviously we're not sure exactly how these plans will develop but we will keep you informed. And also not sure when we'll be able to tour that, but um, if anybody has any thoughts or advice, uh, please do get in touch with us at info at frozenlighttheatre.com. So before we introduce our guests, there's been some exciting news this week. We were pretty excited. It was announced that Changing Places toilets will be made compulsory for new buildings in England from 2021, any new public buildings. So this means that in building regulations, it will become mandatory for there to be changing places. Now, if you don't know what a changing places is, it is a large accessible toilet. It has a changing bed, a hoist. It has a privacy area for somebody to have a carer come in and support them. And for many of our audiences, standard accessible toilets aren't accessible because to be able to use an accessible toilet, you need to be able to get out of your wheelchair and transfer onto the toilet. But a changing places means that everybody can have the rights and the dignity to access a toilet. So this is really exciting news. Obviously, the fight isn't over. We still need changing places in existing buildings. But I think this goes some step of the way for the world, well, England, to become more accessible to people with disabilities. So we're really excited about that. But come on, Wales and Northern Ireland, you're next, because they're already, this, this regulation is already happening in Scotland. So we are watching you. We are aware that this podcast has gone out several weeks after the Changing Place announcement, but it felt really important to mention it because for us and for our audience, this is really, really super exciting news. And also just, I think it's really important to celebrate any wins really, even though everything won't change overnight. But there's been so many campaigners like Sarah Brisdian and Laura Moore who have campaigned so hard for this change to happen. They've even done things like sit on toilets all day long, dressed up like poo on a busy high street. So, you know, it's great to see real life campaigning has has had an impact. So really exciting. In other news, Birds of Paradise have started a new podcast. And as fellow podcasters, we are delighted to share this news. It's called BOP on the Wire. It's a podcast that interviews disabled artists in Scotland and it's hosted by Robert Softly Gale, who is the artistic director of Birds of Paradise, and Jack Hunter, who is a comic and actor. So please do check it out. BOP on the wire. It's on all of your usual podcasting apps. So on today's episode, we are interviewing 
Kath and Steve and Mark from Reflect PMLD. And Reflect PMLD is a day center service for people with profound and multiple learning disabilities in Somerset. We'll just give them a ring now. So hello, welcome to the Frozen Light podcast. We've got Steve, we've got Kath, and we've got Mark from Reflect PMLD. So can you introduce yourselves? to the listeners. Yeah, uh, I'm Steve. I spent many years of my career working with Somerset County Council's Learning Disability Services. Took early retirement about three, three and a half years ago uh, with no intent of getting back into services at that point really, but through a whole set of circumstances, I'm sure we'll talk about those a bit more, got back into working with Kath and Mark and a group of people uh, about 18 months, two years ago now. And hi, I'm Kath. I trained as a speech and language therapist and worked as a specialist in adult learning disability services for quite a few years and within that had a specialism for people with profound and multiple learning disabilities. I left um, 15 years ago to do some work overseas, voluntary work overseas and that turned into paid work. So I've been doing a mixture of work in the UK and work for other organisations abroad and then this opportunity came up, we started to talk about it about 18 months ago there's a gap in the service and it was something that I really wanted to get involved in and I knew we could do a good job of. Hello, and I'm Mark Laker. Um, I'm 27 years a parent carer. Uh, my background really, apart from that, is um, or relevant backgrounds, really in um, campaigning, voluntary organisations, carer support organisations in Somerset. Uh, and generally making a, a, a nuisance of myself. That sounds like you guys all bring like huge amounts of skills and experience to the table. So I'm really excited to hear a bit more about the service. And Reflect PMLD is a relatively new service. There are such few organisations specifically for people with PMLD. How did the organisation come about? Yeah, it was really on the back of the and I know some sort of a closure of a big day service in Taunton, a place called Six Acres. Uh, it's a place I'd linked with, the place that Mark and Kath knew very well too. And I guess it was around right about November, two years ago, the closure was announced and families basically were left to get on with finding alternatives for themselves. We realised the three of us sort of were aware of that. I've been speaking to Mark for a little while about setting up uh, a totally different kind of service based around uh, food and, and training. Mark knew the cat was available as well. We became aware that there were a group of families with sons and daughters with PMLD who with two, three weeks to go before the closure had absolutely no alternatives available to them. And that really prompted us into some fairly swift action. So within two, three weeks, we managed to source some space at a local leisure centre. That was about the only place in Taunton that had an accessible shower and toilet. There's a real, as everywhere, uh, a real sort of lack of those. So we saw some space. We'd, uh, I'd certainly kept in touch with a number of staff who I knew had a, shared our passion for working with people with PMLD. Uh, they were available and came across to work with us. Most amazingly, we met with a group of families and although they knew uh, quite a bit about us, the most amazing thing was that they were prepared to put their trust in us in setting up this brand new service uh, and taking a chance on entrusting the care of their loved ones to, to us. So I say within a very short space of time, we had our first space set up. Uh, we started with a very small number of people and have grown from there really in the space of, of 18 months to now having two bases, a significant uh, number more people, although we've always said we will keep it small. 
never more than six to eight people in any one base uh, and always on the basis of one-to-one -one staffing. So we were very clear about the model from the start. But it was really a, a matter of necessity. If we hadn't developed and delivered the Reflect PMLG service, we're not sure how those families uh, would have coped going forward. I'm enjoying the move from food and training to... <laughs> to but, what the service now is that's quite that you know that's quite a big shift but what's so great is the fact that you were responding directly to a need in the community which is surely how all local organizations should be set up really i think the common theme between those two things the uh, the, the desire to set up a, a service that uh, that was based around training and real world employment and and that kind of thing, uh, and the service that we uh, we set up with Reflect uh, was that you know the very simple principle that we knew that things could be better. So we had a look at the world out there and um, we saw what was being provided across the board, and we're very keen to actually do something that was progressive. Um, but uh, but the real big need did emerge as being in this uh, this this particular point in the spectrum of disability and that's that's what we had to respond to and you responded quickly yes yes, yes. yeah we did absolutely including obviously having to buy basic equipment and uh, all sorts of supplies but we got there and it was amazing we i don't think we ever expected to be able to do anything uh, that that quickly and i think pushed in part uh, as well and Kath, you'll have more to say about this than, than me. By our realisation, my realisation through all my years in services, people with PMLD tended always to get a second best deal. They always got left behind when it came to developing services uh, and looking at resources. They were always the group of people in a corner of a day centre somewhere who might have been getting good uh, personal care and good sort of practical input, but in terms of development, uh, not a lot. And Kath, you were one of the first people in Somerset to change that, weren't you? That's very nice of you to say, Steve. Um, this is a, the group of people that I'm really passionate about. So had Steve and Mark been setting up a service around food or a cafe, I probably wouldn't have got involved with any passion because it's the group with profound and multiple learning disabilities that do get left behind and yet they have such great potential if you get services right. Absolutely. And that's you know, why we set up Frozen Light for the exact same reason I spent a lot of years working in adult social care and seeing that exact same same thing and, and you know, and the same with, with children. So really set Frozen Light up to kind of address that. But what's what we've been loving about seeing on Reflect PMLD and we'd love to hear about more about is how you incorporate intensive interaction and sensory storytelling into your day services, because it's something we use in our production. So really interested to hear about that. I can talk quite a lot about intensive interaction. <laughs> um, the sensory storytelling is always from my point of view, because I was a speech and language therapist when we started the intensive interaction in interventions, and it was always really arty people who did that. <laughs> and I didn't feel that confident in promoting myself as an arty person. But the intensive interaction is the basis of what we do every day, all day. Um, and we, that's one of the reasons why we have one-to-one -one staffing, so that we can consistently respond and listen to and observe and notice people's signals, the ones that have been overlooked in the past for so long. Um, and so intensive interaction, well, interaction runs right through our week in the way that we assist people with food or with personal care. Staff spend a lot of time on the floor with people on their mats. You know, it, 
we have a real emphasis on being with people and not just doing to people. And then in both of our centres, we have a dedicated intensive interaction session once a week, just for the sake of mentoring new staff, making sure that we get weekly videos so that we can evaluate progress over time. But you could walk into either of our centres, either of our rooms, any day of the week, and you would see intensive interaction consistently happening. Um, and the sensory storytelling, we have this great guy who's, who also just set up at the same time as we did, a special needs teacher who has taken early retirement, who also happens to be Mark's brother, who comes in to do sensory storing, and he is just awesome. And the staff have been consistently learning from him about how to be more creative in what they offer on a daily basis. And the lovely thing about lockdown is that his peripatetic work has really had to stop. And so we've had him for three days a week. Um, <laughs> so it's brought a real richness into the service during lockdown, which has been fabulous. And what's his name? That's Peter Blaker. And his company's called Starfish. Okay, brilliant. If we can find it online, we'll link it to our show notes. And just listening to you talk about how tailored your support is for people with PMLD, which I really do think it's so unique and it really shouldn't be that unique. It should just be something that happens. Do you provide any training to any other service providers? Ooh, we're quite, we have done. We've offered two lots of intensive interaction and early communication skills to organisations Really happy to do so and happy to become a Southwest base for that kind of provision. I think there's not a lot of money being around for other services to access training, but it's certainly in our plan for the future to, to have training there and provided and to have the resources to do that. I think I'd add to that as well, Kath, that there are some organisations big and small, lots of them actually, who still fail to recognize the value of intensive interaction and, and that approach to working. Uh, I've visited providers in the not too distant past who are talking about buying Makaton in for the first time for a group of people with PMLD, which may be meaningful in some part for one or two, but even if they're aware of intensive interaction, I think is partly what you were saying, Kath, about that necessity of being with people and spending time with them. And as a view, I think in some quarters that some are that staff being lazy when they should be doing the washing or the ironing or the cooking or mm. taking somebody out and about instead of just being there and observing and understanding somebody well enough to start communicating with them and opening up the world for them as well. So little by little. And interestingly, we've just had a, uh, an inquiry from one of the big providers in Somerset uh, about delivering some intensive interaction training for them and starting to build a network of people uh, who will champion that within their, their resources. And I think that's absolutely key is, is that real acknowledgement that being with someone and listening, not just verbally, not just in a linguistic way, but listening with your whole being to that person mm. just can increase somebody's life experience like tenfold. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we've seen amazing progress in all 15 months that we've been open really amazing progress because people are freer to express they've been silented silenced for years and we're listening and it's just very very exciting to see how quickly they can make progress once you listen 
And what's been amazing is some of the feedback from families uh, about the progress that people have made, also tinged with an awful lot of regret and sadness at all the lost years that mm. the people they care for have had. Uh, uh, again, getting good physical care perhaps, but now they're starting to see things open up, starting to see people develop them. And we've had more than a few tears, people saying, what if this had started 20 or 30 or 40 years ago for my son, daughter? But at least it's happening now. And obviously we're talking now during a time of coronavirus, and it is now we're recording on the 22nd of July. Can you talk us through what happened to Reflect PMLD when lockdown began and where you guys are at now? Yeah, well, we had to, uh, like every other organisation, we had to uh, take some uh, fairly radical and uh, uh, immediate action to actually make sure that uh, the place was safe or the service was safe. Um, I think one of the first things we did was um, was talk to families. I think uh, the... Most of the people that, that use our service live in a family uh, environment and uh, it's absolutely critical to us that, uh, that those families are fully appreciated and understood and integrated as part of the overall support package of the service. So we see our, if you want, uh, for want of a better word, our clients as being not just the people who come and use our service on a day-to-day -day basis, but their families and we recognize the need for excellent communication with them uh, and support for them where we can and that extends sometimes you know to doing their shopping uh, or um, or um, just uh, letting them come in and have a cup of tea when they need to because that might be the only opportunity that I have for a chat during the week so it's really important that we understand their concerns as being real and legitimate and particularly at a time like this where they might be looking for their loved ones and thinking, oh, they're particularly bad, vulnerable because of uh, their physical frailty or whatever. So it's really important that we uh, understood their concerns. So if you look at the two sites we've got, we've got uh, one site where we had plenty of space, we could spread out, we hired another room, we had really good support from the host organisation at Heston Gardens in, in Taunton, and we were able to hire extra room and create bubbles. So that meant that, uh, that we actually had, for every person who was supporting, they'd have dedicated staff working with them throughout. We'd try and arrange transport so they'd be the only people that were actually using the vehicle that uh, they came to our service and, and went home uh, from it. And so we're early adopter of the, the bubble model. With our other site, it was a little bit more difficult to actually do that. So we effectively subcontracted uh, domiciliary care, but making sure that it is a consistency of the people that they're actually providing the support. So that actually happened more or less mostly in people's homes. So there's two different models, but we got through it really successfully so far. And clearly you lose, I mean, when our service is operating normally and you've got a room full of people and a room full of employed people as well, and they're, they kind of work in a ballet. So we don't have anyone particularly assigned to a particular person that's been their supporter through the day. We just have this heightened awareness of looking out for who needs support, uh, what opportunities are there to actually capitalise on some um, signal we're getting from a particular person or whatever. And it is like a ballet, it's very fluent. People just go from one person to another and work with them, work, have really good, uh, good interactions with them. Can't do that in a bubble scenario, um, but we have been able to maintain, you know, 
the sense of community and the sense of um, consistency of the kind of support that we give. And we've been really lucky in some ways in that, uh, you know, we've got the enthusiasm of, uh, of our staff who are absolutely fantastic, but we've also got those environments which are very, very accessible. We can just go outside the door of our rooms and we're into beautiful, beautiful landscape. And, um, and it really uh, has helped us get through that. Now we're moving back into a slightly more open society and things are opening up a bit more and it presents more challenges because we've still got to maintain that security. But the confidence in the way that we've delivered our service has grown. So the families who, who perhaps have been a little bit reticent uh, about uh, their loved ones coming to us are relaxing a bit. Uh, trusting us and uh, ha very happy with the way we're delivering that service. There has been, it's been hard and it's been, um, you know, practically from a business point of view, it's, uh, it's meant an awful lot more money being spent and, um, and we've, uh, you know, maybe have to sacrifice one or two things in order to achieve it, but we've been very happy to do that. So it's clear priority and it's worked well. And that sounds like you've managed to continue a lot more than, than some other services is but how did you stay in touch with your clients during lockdown it was different for every family i mean when we knew that we were going into lockdown we we were in daily contact with every family that we were working with to talk through what our plans were what our risk assessments were at hestercombe and our other base in Somerton. that led to some families feeling confident enough to continue with their sons or daughters coming to us that included discussions not just about the bubbles in-house as well, but the bubbles each member of the, the, the staff team were in as well. So we're very careful to talk to the staff team about what their situation was at home. And a couple of people were furloughed as a result because we knew that, that their home situation was going to bring a degree of risk. A couple of, of, of the team who were, uh, had childcare responsibilities. So we went from that daily contact with families. Some of them, I say, then continued coming in with us but we'd still be in at least weekly contact by phone as a group of, of directors. We've also got a number of families who bring their loved ones in uh, and transport them in. So they had daily contact, were able to see what we were doing, were able to talk to the team, and that gave those families a bit of an outlet as well that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And I know for some people that was really, really important. Some families in that initial period didn't feel safe with, with their loved ones coming into a day service base. Uh, so kept closer contact with them via telephone, and that would have been two or three times a week telephone call. As Mark said, some of the staff from the, uh, the team from the day service then took on a personal assistant role in people's homes with them. So there was at least some uh, sort of support for the individual person and some support for families as, as well. And we've kept that regular contact all through, and we're back at the stage now where we're back at the level of sort of operation that we were before with the same number of people coming in for the same number of days, which is a major achievement to say when I know that we're aware that every other day service in Somerset went into complete shutdown and can understand some of the reasons why. But I know there have been numbers of calls from other families who were receiving day services, were receiving residential respite care services, were left with absolutely nothing. And some of them have had nothing for the whole of that four months. And in some instances, not even a phone call from their providers. So I think we're justly proud of the way that we kept in touch with people. And I know we've had lots of feedback to, to say how appreciative people were of that, even if it was some, sometimes uh, just somebody at the end of a telephone. It's been so wonderful seeing photos of your clients returning uh, 
to reflect PMLD. How and how has that felt for you guys? How's that been? It's, I mean, it's great for us, but to watch the joy in them is fantastic. They are so happy to be back, which is the most wonderful compliment to our staff team and the experience that we give them at Reflect. It is a real joy to have them back. The staff are very happy to be back, the ones that have been furloughed. I think this is the point where we really need to have regular discussions about safety. Somerset hasn't been massively impacted by corona, but we need not to be complacent, but then we need to maintain the joy in the service that we keep there. Um, So, yes, it has been lovely to see them all back and just showing um, their emotions about how they feel about Reflect and the staff. It's wonderful. It is a joy to, and it's, it's also a sense of relief because the, the pressure that uh, exists in those households, had they been left to manage on their own with the very minimal support that, uh, that we've heard that other families have been getting, could have been very critical for them. Um, so it's, it, it is a great relief to us that we've been able to, uh, to take that pressure off for the time that we have been and possibly make these few uh, few months um, survivable for many people. And a real credit to you guys, because we've spoken to a lot of people who kind of everything has been, has been removed and they felt very forgotten and very on their own. So for you to be able to be there, even just to pick up the phone and go, we're still thinking about you, you know, someone still cares. I think that that means a lot. To, to families. Day services for people with PMLD are regular audiences at, at Frozen Light shows. When we're visiting theatre venues nationally and local to you, we go to Taki Morris Art Centre. But do you guys have plans on how you may be able to approach trips out safely in the future? We're, we're to a certain extent, following the guidance as it comes out. And uh, as Steve said, we have to take uh, a fairly cautious approach and uh, make sure that, uh, and Catherine enforced it, that we're um, assessing those risks as we go. So we'll be, uh, to a certain extent, playing it by ear. And are there any changes that you hope will support people with profound and multiple learning disabilities in the future, influenced by this time in lockdown? Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I think a couple of key things that, that are emerging. One interesting has been around transport. One of the first things to close down was transport for anybody uh, anybody at all, let alone people with PMLD. We've responded to that one by buying uh, an accessible car so that we can get one young man in on a daily basis. Families have been incredibly supportive. We've just uh, been allocated a minibus by the Mencaps Society in Glastonbury and Street. That gives us more capacity to organize. But I think what that will help us get away from uh, uh, the old style sort of transporting systems sort of post any discussions with a local authority and have something a bit more bespoke that fit in with families' needs and timings rather than having to get somebody up at seven o'clock in the morning to wait for a big minibus that turns up at 10 to nine or, or whatever it might be. So that's one thing. The other critical thing for me is this period has shown that services can very quickly shut down. And I think you mentioned, Lucy, that a lot of people end up feeling abandoned uh, and left behind. So I think a move to not just for people with PMLD, but possibly other groups of people as well, much more bespoke, specialised services, small groups, small bases, we've shown that it's possible to continue delivering services through even through a period like this, if the model is right uh, and the values and uh, the approaches are right as well. So I'd, I'd hope to see more specialist services coming up just for people with PMLD. 
And I think the word you used a couple of times there is bespoke. And again, it's just about the transport needs, something for one individual as opposed for something to kind of suit the whole group. Again, we heard, we heard I think it was in episode three of our podcast about um, Hugh, who had to get on a bus very, very early in the morning to get to school and he struggled in the mornings. So again, to kind of, you know, drag someone out when they're still basically asleep is that what's best for each individual so i think um, again just looking at people's individual needs is a really really great thing that we can kind of stop and look at yeah i think one of the the challenges for me through lockdown has been seeing the, the progress that people make when they're one-to-one with the same member of staff that that brings in some challenges in in building too much dependency on one person but we've seen in quite a number of people because they feel very safe and secure in that relationship and that one person has been able to help develop skills consistently over that period that we if, if this ever comes to an end we need to appreciate the value of consistent staff, but also sharing practice, very thorough sharing of practice, even down to the fine details that work and things that don't work. I think it's right. And that's interesting. And I think that is the challenge of any kind of care work as such, that, that it, it's a job, but it's a job where you build really strong relationships with, with individuals and possibly individuals that maybe aren't going to understand if you suddenly disappear and about managing that but to mm. ensure that those relationships are able to be built but also that 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 person's progress and and communication yeah doesn't disappear when when that one person has to get a new job or something yeah exactly i once tracked somebody with pmld through a, a day in their life somebody was in residential care and i counted 17 different members of the staff who had interaction with that person over the course of a 15-hour period. Uh, anything from 30 seconds, it, it was frightening to see how many different relationships, interactions, and how little sense that must make to somebody over the course of a day. I think from my perspective, the most important thing that's come out of this, or has been, well, it's already pre-existed, everyone's known this, is the criticality of, um, of the wider support network around that uh, particular person. Um, so if families are abandoned at a time like this, or they're not supported, or they're not communicated with, you know, and uh, we do live in a world where, you know, even the most enlightened people still don't accept that family carers are, uh, you know, are, are, are a critical part of the, uh, uh, an, in, an informed and uh, intelligent part of the support network. So it's really important that that, uh, that lesson that their needs uh, and their their insights um are, are are really much better understood and acted upon uh, and not seen as bespoke and i think that's really important and i've been in services where it's very much like a us against the family you know like the the service knows best let's not mum's a pain in the neck you know and that's not the best for someone's life is it and i really like the way that you talk about your service and about how it's about the person with PMLD, but it's also about their family. And it's about if you can support that whole unit, then everybody's lives are going to be better and easier and, and more fulfilled. Well, guys, it's been such a joy to speak to you. And it just, I think what feels so wonderful from my personal perspective is 
it, again, it's just so rare to speak to people who specifically work with people with profound and multiple learning disabilities. And when we create our work, it's never about an add-on for people with PMLD. It's always about thinking about their needs at the beginning of our process and then making a show that's completely accessible from the start. And I really feel that actually your ethos and everything is just so similar to that. And it's just... Yeah, it's, it feels really, sometimes it feels quite lonely in this sector um, <laughs> because it's, it, it can be quite rare. You know, there's like a ha handful of um, organizations and charities that are specifically set out to work with people with PMLD. So, yeah, it's just been so, so lovely to speak to you. So, thank lovely. you. Lovely to get that feedback. Brilliant. <laughs> well, thank, thank you so much. Thank, thank you ever so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. Well, I have to say, as our first episode with lots of different guests, I had an absolutely great time there. Yeah, me too. It was really lovely to have um, so many different voices on, on the interview. I think for me, the biggest thing that stuck out, which I think I said within the interview itself, was just how incredible it was that Reflect PMLD. I mean, it's in the name really, isn't it? It's just such a bespoke service for individuals with profound and multiple learning disabilities and their families, which is just so wonderful to hear. And I think there are so many discussions around labels and if you should label groups of people or certain people. However, actually sometimes by labeling groups, we are able to then meet their bespoke needs. And I think that's something that we can see is really, really clearly happening through a service like Reflect PMLD. And especially a group of people, as I think it was Steve or Kath said, are often in larger settings and larger services for people with learning disabilities, the ones who are forgotten about and the ones who are kind of parked quietly in the corner to actually have something bespoke to them and their needs run by people who know really innately how to support people with profound and multiple learning disabilities that can only be a good thing and you can tell just through their stories of you know they've only been open 15 months and seeing people really open up and, and be able to communicate and, and have access to a life that they didn't before i also think it's really unique that they want their services to stay really really small yet there's obviously a clear demand that they grow so that's a really interesting model as well how they're able to grow their organization yet offer this very bespoke specialist specialist service and how and how that will work and i really look forward to seeing how they develop because i can completely see why people would want to access their services and again we see even in really amazing special schools that people with pmld are the first to be not able to engage with an activity or something like that so something that's so so specialist to people with PMLD's needs is really, really great. And again, it was amazing hearing from Kath, another speech and language therapist. We keep coming across incredible speech and language therapists in our work. And it's amazing to see the incredible insight and knowledge they have about communicating with people with PMLD, which can often from the outside seem like quite a challenging thing when people are nonverbal and it's about learning new ways of communicating yeah, and it really seems that that's, that's the emphasis and what they embrace at Reflect PMLD about really listening to people to be able to improve their quality, 
quality of life. And I think, yeah, going back to the, the small numbers, you know, they, they support six people or eight people. And that's what we do in a frozen light show. And often by people not in the, in the PMLD world, we're asked to increase those audience sizes and fit more people in because it's more cost effective or you meet more people. But what people who, who really specialize in working with people with PMLD know is that it has to be individualized. And for it to be individualized, it has to be on a one-to-one and it has to be small groups of people for people to have that opportunity to access things. We've also heard so much throughout the episodes of this podcast about people who feel isolated and alone and people with PMLD and their loved ones just feel forgotten during this time. And it was wonderful to hear about even when they're, even when people that reflect PMLT support weren't yet coming back into the, into the center, that they were still in phone contact, just letting them know that they were thinking of them and letting them know what their plans were. And that was the first thing they thought about, how they could communicate with their families. And I think that's just so, so crucial. And it really gives me hope. I think it can sometimes seem that for people with complex health needs that it's really challenging to get out there and, and to leave the house. And Reflect PMLD have managed to create a model, I think through being really supportive and listening, where they've enabled their clients, for want of a better word, to be able to continue going to that day centre. And it kind of gives me hope that we will return to the theatre, Amber, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Yes, yes, we will. And again, I think it's just about looking at how, how we can adapt things to make sure people feel safe and secure, which is exactly what they did. So hopefully as more guidance comes out and we learn more and more about the virus, at some point uh, that will be possible. Yeah, brilliant episode. And up next, we are interviewing Christine, who has set up a really awesome scheme called Skiggle. Christine is also mum to Will, who has profound and multiple learning disabilities. And Skiggle was set up as a response to challenges that, that she felt when trying to access equipment and provisions for her son to enable them to get out and about and do things like go on holidays. So we're really excited to talk to Christine and hear all about Skiggle and what those guys have been up to in lockdown. We are so enjoying recording this podcast and the series one is coming to an end. We've only got a few more episodes left. We would love to hear from you. Please do get in touch on info at frozenlighttheatre.com. You can listen to all episodes of the podcast on www.frozenlighttheatre.com forward slash podcast and on all of your usual podcasting apps and devices. Please do rate, review and subscribe. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook at forward slash Frozen Light Theatre, on Instagram at Frozen Light Theatre and on Twitter at Frozen Theatre. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Jess, Mark and I didn't forget our interest in a... Uh, a cafe uh, as a training venue and important view. We did set one up at the brew house, or took on the running one at the brew house theatre in Taunton uh, about three months before lockdown started, just building up momentum, <laughs> it all had to come to a full stop. So. Yes.
Oh, so you did that as well? We did that as well, yeah. 